Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. The latest news out of Texas is that Antifa members showed up with AR-15s to act as armed guards for a drag queen show at a Dallas area bar. If you've ever looked around and wondered how we got into the mess we are in, you're not alone. And so that's what we're doing right now on the Liberty Cafe is taking a look at how we got to where we are from where we started as a country. Hi, this is Bill Peacock and welcome to episode 93 of the Liberty Cafe. It's a blessing to have you here with me and it's a blessing to be sponsored by Texas Scorecard, a great group of men and women who are fighting for all of our liberties and particularly those liberties based in the Bible and God's word and God's creation of the universe. So, so go over to Texas Scorecard and listen in and read up and get involved and see what you can do to continue the fight for liberty here in Texas. So last week we started with a look at the the collapse of the constitutional order. And so let me just do a brief review before we pick back up where we left off. So the constitutional order basically was a series of protections put into the the Constitution of the United States. We we saw things like federalism, separation of powers, bicameralism, enumerated powers that were were put into place for for two main reasons. One is because our founding fathers strongly believed in the this concept really started with Augustine for many of them. The, the description of moral depravity of men enslaved to their sin. Right? So this goes back to the fall and that original sin concept. And they just they realized that if you gave too much power to people, they were going to abuse it. And so they had this separation of powers and, and all these kind of structures in place to protect us. The, the other thing was that they also believed that the path to civil liberty really came from Christian liberty. Not all of them would have described it that way, but we, but we saw this in the, in the quote from John Adams, that our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. So that means that, and of course the only truly moral and truly religious people are Christians. I know that's a comment that a lot of people would disagree with, but it happens to be true because there's only one founder and creator of the heavens and earth, and that's God. But unfortunately, over the years, those protections and those beliefs have faded away in American society. So what we're doing this week is, is looking at how those protections in the Constitution have been eliminated. Some have been eliminated by constitutional amendments, but, but more have just been eliminated or modified by court decisions and legislative actions and executive orders and those types of things. So we're, we're looking through that. We left off in prior to the Civil War because we looked at a couple of things that had been 
done. One was really in, in the Constitution, even, which is kind of sad. You know, for instance, the um, Mayflower Compact, the first document written for Ameri American government in America, or at least on the way to America, started with, in the name of God. By the time we get to the Constitution, it starts with, we the people. So there was already this shift going on. I mean, people still, it was still a Christian nation, but people believe that, started to believe, shift from this contract to this contract theory from covenant theory that we're in covenant with God. The next thing we talked about last week was the necessary and proper clause, which has been used, started to have been used right after the country was founded to override this concept of enumerated powers because the necessary and proper clause says that Congress can do things necessary and proper to carry out their responsibilities that are enumerated in the Constitution. Well, what that has led to is a whole bunch of new powers and, and activities and, and orders and laws that have nothing to do really and are not necessary and proper to carry out these other things. But the, the courts have allowed it to go forth. The Congress has engaged in this trickery, and here we are today. So that gets us to the period of after the Civil War. And that's where we're going to start off today. Ba basically, what happened in the period of the Civil after the Civil War was sort of a continuation of what went on before the Civil War, which was the, the North had been trying to impose a lot of things on the South. Now, we all know about slavery and the problems that that caused and how that needed to be fixed, but there were a lot of other things going on at the time as well. Where the Particularly what was going on was the North was trying to impose taxes on the South to enrich merchants in the North. I mean, that, that's the bottom line, particularly taxes known as tariffs. And because they were trying to make uh, goods coming in from England more expensive so that merchants who were making things in the North would have to, uh, would make more money because it would make all goods more expensive and they could sell their wares and they could compete then with English goods coming in from across the ocean. And so that just turned up big time once the North had proved victorious in the war. And there were a number of um, activities engaged in by the North. There was the Freedmen's Bureau, which basically was adopted by Congress and allowed any, anybody who's associated with this Freedmen's Bureau to go out and take land from Southerners and allegedly put it to use for the use of uh, freed slaves. And there, there were no constitutional protections in this, no really even court reviews. It was really bad. Then there was the Civil Rights Bill, which was another in, in uh, violation and assault on private property rights, which said that people who own private property and turn it into some kind of business can't discriminate against basically anybody who wants to come into their property, at least depending on their color and those kind of things. And um, 
Of course, the problem wasn't so much people own private property. It was government who was doing most of the discrimination. Yet this bill went straight at private property rights. Then there was the 14th Amendment, which basically applied the Bill of Rights, which previously had only applied to the federal government, and then applied that to the states. So that now that the Bill of Rights applied to the states, on one hand, we can see, okay, there's some good things in the Bill of Rights. The state of Texas shouldn't be able to take my land without due process and, and, and compensation and those types of things. But all of a sudden, now we have the federal government as the arbiter of these things, and the federal government now gets to decide whether these things are good or bad, and they have come up with a whole bunch of new sort of made-up rights as part of all this. And then we also had the Reconstruction Acts, which basically sent military occupation down into the South throughout all the office holders and installed new politicians in the South. And this was, again, years after the war had ended. It's not like it was the, the, the military occupation right after the war. So all these kind of things came in to really eviscerate many constitutional protections, and it was much more damaging than, than people realize today. So that's the end of the 19th century, but then we move into the 20th century, and really there's there's two parts there. There's the progressive era that runs about 1890 to 1935 or so, 1940, right up to the uh, World War II. And then there's a, the more modern part that starts in the 1950s and comes on up until today. So what we saw in the in the progressive area, the, there's two parts of that. There's the early part, about 1890 to 1920. And that, we saw things like the Sherman Antitrust Act, which basically was a law that there were some big companies and they were making some money and the little companies didn't like it. And so they got Congress to pass the Sherman Antitrust Act and some other laws as well to go take profits away from these big companies and give it to the other big companies. They just weren't quite as big and quite as successful. That's really what antitrust law does. It doesn't protect consumers at all. Again, a violation of, of property rights and, and adding the ability of Congress to highly regulate uh, commerce is what, what that was. Then we had, of course, the income tax, which radically transformed the American government's ability to take our money from us and continues up until today. Then there was the direct election of senators, where Prior to that, senators were appointed by state legislatures, and that made the state legislators, or at least the senators, beholden in some way to the state legislature. And if the legislature didn't like it, they didn't have to reappoint them after for the next term. But when you go to direct election, all of a sudden, then the legislature is not involved at all, and senators and Congress generally started imposing their control on state legislators after that point. And then there was, in 1913, the Federal Reserve Act and the creation of the Federal Reserve, which basically allows the federal government to print money at any time they want, in any way they want, and radically inflate the currency, and at the same time, radically increase prices, and we're seeing that today. So, and these all were things that were not 
allowed under the Constitution originally and were either changed like the Federal Reserve through laws or the Antitrust Act through laws or through actual amendments to the Constitution. But in every case, they significantly eroded our liberties and increased the power of the federal government. Then, of course, we moved to FDR and the progressive era uh, starting about, well, 1929 when uh, Hoover was still in, in office, and then we get FDR up to about 1945, and we get the New Deal, basically. And so FDR's New Deal was not an effort, ultimately, to improve the economy, get America back on its feet. It was an effort to radically increase the power of the federal government. And uh, there were a number of things that FDR tried at the beginning of his term to put into place, but the Supreme Court initially resisted and started overturning um, some of the laws that Congress was passing under the, the uh, encouragement of FDR. But then FDR went to work went to the court packing threat, which ought to be uh, pretty timely for those of us in this world today. And, and the Supreme Court caved. At least, I think, two of the members did. And everything that they had previously declared unconstitutional, all of a sudden they declared constitutional. And many more things came along the line that fell in under that. And so, again, a radical expansion of the power of the federal government to regulate our lives. Uh, there was the National Labor Relations Act, which basically turned unions into arms of the federal government from the sense that uh, unions now could control large segments of our society and of our economy because the federal government was behind them on things. There's nothing wrong with unions, per se, but as long as they're voluntary organizations, but the, the power and the might of the federal government behind them radically transformed their ability to control our economy. Then there was, of course, the Social Security Act, which took money away from us, and then they gave it back to us, but not nearly as much as for most of us as they take from us, and turned private retirement into a public good, if you will and is wrecking the country still today and, and just continuing to grow in how it uh, takes away the ability of people to provide for their own welfare. Then there was a federal minimum wage adopted in 1941. Now the federal government can tell a state, <clears throat> employers in a state, and it doesn't matter what you do in the state, basically, how much you, you, you can pay your workers or how much you have to pay your workers. And then there's the famous um, Agricultural Adjustment Act that was declared constitutional in Wickard versus Filburn, where the federal government can tell a farmer in a state how much wheat he can grow on his property, even if he just sells his wheat to his neighbors down the street, or if he eats it himself. There, there's, because that is part of interstate commerce. And, and that was a huge part of all this in the, this part of time, that, that the courts and Congress radically expanded what looks like the constitutionally 
provided ability of Congress to regulate interstate commerce and made it a total control over the entire economy so that almost anything now is interstate commerce and the federal government can tell us what to do. So that's a, a brief look at the progressive period and what they did to us during that period of time. Next, and finally, we get to the modern era, the decline of federalism. And, and this has really been the case when, when this concept of federalism, which is, you know, there is power in the states and there is power in the federal government. And they coexist and they work together and sometimes they conflict, but we have a system set up where these two are designed to conflict. Well, more and more today we have it where it doesn't conflict at all because the federal government gets to tell states what to do or courses them, and we'll hit that in just a minute. So one of the first things we saw in this modern era is the Civil Rights Act. Uh, 1964, I believe it is. As you recall, I mentioned the Civil Rights Act of 1875 after the Civil War. And, and that, basically, that bill said that private citizens on their own private property cannot keep people out of their property based on the color of their skin if their property is being used as an inn, a public conveyance, theaters, and other places of public amusement, right? Or a public accommodation, it is. So that was a radical intrusion on private property rights, the federal government telling us what we can do with our own private property. Because if you recall, back in the 1950s and 60s, yes, we had this segregation in the South, but it was all government-enforced and government-created segregation. People couldn't eat at lunch counters, not because business owners were necessarily saying that blacks couldn't come in, but because the federal, the state governments were made it illegal for a black person to come in. And so what the federal government should have done is is tell the states they can't discriminate, but instead they told private citizens they can discriminate and went far beyond the problem and created a whole lot of things. So the, the language in the 1964 uh, civil rights was the exact same thing we saw in the Civil Rights Act of 1875. And basically the Supreme Court had declared the old Civil Rights Act from the 1900s unconstitutional, but the Supreme Court in the 1960s came back with almost the exact same language and called it constitutional. And why did they do that? Well, they, they did it because they declared that Congress's power under the Commerce Clause are virtually unlimited. So this is building off what we saw during the Progressive Era and one of the main areas of the ability of Congress to regulate things is because of this Commerce Clause jurisprudence that we have on us today. So basically, we all don't think, at least most of us, I hope, don't think that it's okay to 
tell somebody they can't come into our restaurant or our hotel because they're black or brown or white or anything else. So we know that's wrong, but there's also something wrong with the federal government deciding who can come into our stores and restaurants because under this the or do with our private property in that way because first it was wheat under Wickard versus Filburn then it was restaurants and stores based on race next in line and this was back under president George H.W. Bush it was restaurants stores and private rental homes related to disabilities under the American Disabilities Act. We have to do things with our property to accommodate people with disabilities. It's not that we just have to let them in, but we have to spend money to fix up our homes and our restaurants or whatever we're leasing out to accommodate them. And then, of course, in the more modern times, it's gone from wheat to race to disabilities now to gay and transgender service uh, for services to folks like that and cakes photography and other services not only do we have to let them in we have to provide them services now in ways that violate our deeply held religious beliefs and then finally it's employment where we can't discriminate against people because they're gay and transgender Right. And it, it really doesn't matter what kind of role they're in. Right right now, there's still some religious liberty things in there, but they're pushing against those. And if we keep going this direction, that's going to be next. There will be no way to stop that. So churches will have to hire gay and transgender people. Schools, private Christian schools. I mean, this is where it's heading. And so this, and it all came out of the Civil Rights Act. And then we have this concept about the Tenth Amendment where the states can say, wait a minute, Congress, the Tenth Amendment says that whatever wasn't given to you, whatever powers weren't given to you, these enumerated powers are reserved to us or to our citizens of our states. But Congress no longer has to pay attention to that because of Wickard versus Fillmore and and a bunch of other... uh, bunch of other and other modern judicial uh, inventions I guess is one one way you could put it then of course there's also the the first uh, amendment Congress shall make no law bridging the freedom of speech the fifth amendment nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation and of course the 13th amendment neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States of America. Yet now, we're being forced to use our property to do certain things. Sounds like slavery to me. Our property is being taken for public use, and there's often no compensation for that. And, of course, it doesn't matter what we believe. It's hard to start saying things today, and and that seems to be getting worse. So the final thing I want to hit today is on uh, the modern era of decline in federalism when it comes to money. There's this concept of dual federalism, which I just mentioned, where there's this tension between the federal 
government and the state governments. But that has given way to what we know today as cooperative or coercive federalism. And the, the difference between those two is largely money and these other powers that I've already talked about. But particularly when it comes to money, basically what happens is the federal government has started throwing money at the states. Mm-hmm. Welfare, Medicaid, and other things that came out of Lyndon Johnson's Great Society was really the first thing where this showed up in our lives. And what they do is they throw this money at the states, and the states say don't have to take the money, but they do. And then once they take the money, there is every incentive in the world not to give it up. And so these programs grow and grow. And as the programs grow for the federal level, they give the states more money. But then all of a sudden, they want the state to grow some more with the program. And maybe a state doesn't want to, but then they threaten the existing money. Now, the courts have put some limits on their ability to threaten uh, states under that sort of system. But nonetheless, you look at the at Medicaid, CHIP, Highway funds, drinking age. I mean, wh- why is the drinking age 21 in all the states? Because the federal government threatened to withhold highway funds if we didn't adopt a tw- 21-year-old drinking age. So those are the kinds of things. And, and ultimately, of course, this, this led to things like the individual mandate as well. So you have this push by the federal government to control everything with money. What they don't can't do legally from a constitutional perspective they're doing with money and that this is totally eviscerated the original concept of federalism that we saw in the u.s constitution well thank you for being with us today on episode 93 of the liberty cafe and thanks once again to our sponsors texas scorecard thank you for listening to the liberty cafe with bill peacock this show is produced by texas scorecard You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate this show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.